Hello, and welcome to the fourth Envision and Real Deals fundraising podcast, the final session in this series. I'm your host, Nicholas Neveling, and on today's program, we are going to have an in-depth discussion on the trend of sector specialization. Sector specialism has become a decisive differentiator for managers when executing deals, and LPs appear to be pivoting towards sector specialists in greater numbers. But why is this? Do sector specialists deliver superior returns? How do LPs allocate capital by sector? On what criteria are sector specialists assessed? And what happens when there are long-term shifts in sector performance? To answer these questions and others, I'm joined by two guests. My first guest is Tom McComb, a Managing Director and Private Equity Portfolio Manager at JP Morgan Asset Management. Prior to JP Morgan, Tom worked at AT&T Investment Management Corporation, where he managed a broad range of private market assets. Uh, Tom, many thanks for joining us today. It's a real pleasure to, to be able to speak to you. Um, so just to get us, get us started, I, I wanted to ask you, if you are GP, I guess it's very easy to put a wrapper around your deals and say you are a sector specialist. But how do LPs actually assess whether a manager possesses genuine sector expertise? And what capability and infrastructure do you as an investor need to see to evidence sector specialist claims? Uh, Nicholas, first off, thanks very much for, uh, for having me on the podcast. Uh, and in terms of your question, I think we approach this as we would in conducting due diligence on any manager, whether they're more of a generalist or a sector specialist. We're trying to understand the manager's experience and network and how they will be able to use those uh, items to invest capital successfully. Some of these questions are, are fairly obvious, but they're, they're sort of fundamental questions. What's the uh, investor's track record? Is it in the same sector for which they're trying to raise capital? Are the principals and investment team who are raising the capital today the same people who are responsible for the track record that they're claiming as the firms? Um, does the team contain members or operating partners with relevant industry experience? Does their network contain people that would help them source differentiated deal flow? We'd, some of the, the things we look at in terms of due diligence are talking to portfolio company managers, CEOs, and other senior members of management teams. And we try to understand how a company, uh, how, how a private equity firm, whether they're a sector specialist or not, would add value to a company. Maybe they would make customer introductions. Maybe they'd help vet senior members of the management team. Uh, maybe they help as a sounding board for uh, vetting business models, things like that. We also might talk to third-party intermediaries who are responsible for finding uh, opportunities in a sector and ask them, how do they think of this firm when they're looking at, uh, when they have a deal in the sector? Are they the first call? Are there somebody that really understands the sector very well? Uh, it's, it, it's, it's probably a combination of doing referencing from a reference list from the GP and, and off-list references, which are particularly valuable because they're, they're not typically vetted by the, the GP. Uh, and the other thing I would just sort of add is bad, people worry about mistakes and, and bad investments. That's not always a, a, a big negative. They can contain lessons learned that will help the, uh, the firm avoid mistakes in the future. Tom, thank you. I mean, that, that provides you know, really interesting detail about the kind of things you are, you are looking at um, when, when assessing a manager, um, especially in a, in a sector specialist context. So that's a very helpful answer to get our conversation going. Um, I'm also joined today by regular guest Munir Gwen, the founder and chief executive of Fund Advisor Envision. Moose has more than three decades of private equity experience behind him. 
He was with Merrill Lynch before founding Envision in 2001, and he has advised on more than 300 fundraisers during his career. Um, great to speak to you again, Moose. Um, Happy New Year, and thank you for joining. Um, to what extent does the performance of a particular sector influence an LP's appetite to back a manager specializing in that sector? Um, if I could explain that in a bit more detail, in the current environment, for instance, is a GP specializing in technology, a very hot sector, more likely to secure commitments than an LP specializing in a sector that has been struggling for the last year, such as leisure and hospitals? Uh, thank you very much, Nick. It's a great pleasure to always to be on. Tom, thank you for joining uh, this, this session. Uh, an old friend and a really good luminary in the industry. So um, now the point here is really uh, kind of a LPGP uh, view. Uh, the investors, the, uh, following up from what Tom was saying, want to see experience, repetition, of success, um, and um, so what happens with the general partners is they notice that there is a particular type of company, let's say you know, um, payment services, where um, they're actually quite tuned in and doing extremely well, um, and uh, are able to kind of do repetitive type of uh, work. And really kind of to the point that Tom was making, you know, build their network, build their knowledge and, um, you know, work well out of this. Now, can this repeat into something else or not? So the, um, the general partners, um, as the investors are like wanting from them clarity on strategy, um, uh, consistency of the return, um, clear views on where capital could be deployed and the deployment opportunities of that capital. Uh, what you see, which is interesting, is that general partners will follow one of two different positions. One is they'll um, kind of almost have a consulting type uh, perspective where um, a couple of times a year, they sit with outside parties and kind of take a view on where um, themes are and opportunities are and look at their expertise relative to that, uh, and then either kind of build up their knowledge or kind of you know, start networking to be able to access um, uh, deals. The other way, which is more traditional, is just you know, the experience that they've had. Um, and uh, you know, whether they started a new firm or whether they're in an existing firm, what have they done before? And so um, to the point I think Tom is trying to make, what's very relevant here is that these people continue to perform. Now, going back to your question, which is a very interesting question, is that the investors find that at certain times of cycles, they can be quite uh, underweight a particular sector. Today, I believe they are all underweight technology. And technology can be done in two different ways, in expertise, and in the United States, you now have almost laser specific uh, funds in terms of what, what they focus on, um, which is yet to come in other regions of the world, but, but is appearing. Uh, you know, we're seeing more of this in China, for example. But uh, the, the question now, one of the nuances that we're looking at is there have been traditional private equity firms who've morphed themselves. 
Um, and you know, there are examples in Europe, um, recently in France, of a private equity firm that, that took on and embraced a word that I would call digitalization. Um, and it completely transformed the track record. Uh, and so, um, you know, so yes, there's needs. Uh, the needs today are technology and healthcare in particular. But within that, it does cover a lot of other sectors with this concept of digitalization. So, um, you know, I, I, I do think that investors are, are focusing on their exposures in their portfolios. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, really interesting answer. And, and I think we'll come to a lot of those themes, especially around how it sounds like GPs can exercise, exercise a degree of flexibility, even if they are badged as sector specialists. But, you know, we'll get into some of those those details a bit later. OK, we've made our introductions. We've 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 set the scene. Um, Tom, I'd like to come back to you, if I may. Um, and just try and understand if there is actually any evidence to show that that sector specialists deliver superior returns versus generalists. And then following that, what happens if, if managers are positioned in a sector that moves into secular decline like retail? I recall 10 years ago, there would have been some very good um, sector specialist firms in the retail space that you, you, know, you don't hear about too much now. Is that a concern for a GP if you are looking to go down the specialist route? Yeah, uh, Nick, good question. I think to answer your first question, we, we tend to focus on managers pursuing both venture capital or growth and buyout strategies. On the venture capital side, essentially all of the managers are sector specialists by virtue of they, they have to have the, Moose mentioned technology and healthcare earlier, they have to have that deep sector expertise. Otherwise, they're not going to, uh, to be able to compete. So any comparison is really likely moot. Uh, on the buyout side, many of the managers we back are specialists, but they typically focus on more than one sector. For example, a manager might focus on business services or, or, and or technology, which could involve tech-enabled services, healthcare, Moose mentioned in other sectors. I believe there are a few studies out there that, that show that sector specialists outperform generalists. And anecdotally, in our portfolios, it's been my experience that many of the groups we've backed over the long term, especially over the last 10 to 20 years, have had some sort of spe sector specialization. And they've had exposure to, to sectors like technology and healthcare that have seen a fair bit of success over that time frame. Uh, to answer your second question, in terms of managers being possession, uh, positioned for a sector in decline, if the sector wasn't in decline when they made their investments and it's in decline now, they've probably had poor results unless they were really good or really lucky. If a sector has already entered, and, and, and so those, those managers I think are gonna have a tough go of it. Um, if they, in a sector that has already entered decline, you mentioned retail earlier, before they came into it, there might be an opportunity to pursue a turnaround or more of a deep value oriented uh, strategy. But those types of managers don't tend to be sector specialists. Uh, Moose, I just wondered if you had any follow-up thoughts on, on some of those points that Tom made, um, especially around the, the flexibility that managers have to maybe pivot into other sectors or, or move into adjacent sectors. Yeah, it, it's interesting because, you know, I, I, I'm thinking right now there's one manager that is completely sector agnostic and just looks at a particular formula um, that can generate a return profile, cash generative business, X amount of debt, uh, two times your money in three years, right? And, and then they just go hunt for a company that fits that formula. 
But the, the, the nuance is that with this concept of digitalization, um, uh, which can affect many different aspects of the business, um, it goes to a, a word that Tom used, which is growth. And so um, you can, in this current environment, if you kind of get into the right types of sectors, have some pretty extraordinary return potential. Um, you know, I remember, um, uh, you know, the, the original sector funds that were created. I remember in Europe, because you know, they, they really struggled, were all consumer, it was all consumer. Uh, and, um, you know, the, then the question was, you know, it, you know, whether it was touched on retail or consumption or in terms, you know, foods, deliveries, uh, packaging that, you know, of, of certain types of products that we might want to buy. Um, but, you know, if, if you look at the tech companies that are driving the U.S. public markets today, that's consumer. <laughs> that's going, that, you know, that, and, and um, you know, if you can bring that type of energy into your portfolio. And it's fascinating because um, I met with a general partner yesterday who's entertaining this kind of conversion of their style to enhance it. So Tom, they're, they're, not, they're not deviating from strategy, but they're looking to enhance, right? And so um, what they're doing is they're trying to look for one or two, this is an interesting thing, tech operating partners. So individuals that can kind of go straight down and, and make sure that every portfolio company it, uh, it has like cutting edge technology in the way that they operate and in the way that they then relate into their business model. And this, this is very game changing. Um, um, you know, but one, uh, one little point, which uh, just is uh, um, a little fact for everybody. Um, generalists became five sector specialists the five sector specialists today are usually three, uh, except when you go in certain countries uh, that have very large um, uh, activity, where, which like I mentioned before, like the US or China, th there you've got single strategy uh, uh, funds. But um, the majority are, are at the moment two or three strategies. Moose, thanks very much. Um, in, in some more interesting points made there. Um, just coming back to you and and speaking to uh, another point you raised earlier in, in in our conversation about the fact that that many GPS are, are underweight when it comes to technology. Um, so just a related question to that: How how does sector then sit alongside other uh, other filters such as deal size and and geography from from the LP point of view? So do LPs um, filter for sector, and does that in any way restrict? The amount of capital they have available to um, invest in managers uh, following a strategy in a you know in a particular industry. Um, yeah. Now there's an, a new dynamic to your question, and that's called co-invest. So when we look at what's happening in, with the investors and how they put their portfolios together. Um, they are looking to uh, build a certain risk diversified return profile. Um, but within that, there are certain sectors that they find quite important um, to be able to drive the performance that they need. Um, and they have two ways of accessing this. 
One is um, through the primary relationships into third-party uh, vehicles. And the other one is to then use their co-investor direct uh, capital to then accelerate into certain. Um, and you know, given the size tickets that some of these investors do, um, you know, there's an interesting nuance here that they could at any one particular point in time actually be um, overweight a particular sector. Um, because of that uh, exposure through the, the two different um, investment style uh, investment structures, um, so I, I you know I, I do think that um, this is very much top of mind um, for uh, a number of them, and I think interestingly enough, and Tom, I'd like to hear your, your view on this. Um, you know, you, you, your your structure is more of a fund to fund. Um, uh, pooled type of uh, business. The interesting thing is when you look at some of these sovereign wealth and um, significant pension plans with active direct programs and, and how they kind of um, move quite quickly in certain sectors and take some quite significant positions in companies, um, you know, $500 billion equity tickets, right? Um, and, um, and uh, you know, the question then is how will that, um, you know, what implications does that have to the, the conversation that we're having today? Yeah, Tom, I, I don't know if you'd like to come in there and um, would be very interested in, in your thoughts about, you know, the sector filter as, as something that, uh, that you use as one of your criteria when, when assessing the, the manager universe. Yeah, I mean, uh, Nick, I think uh, to, to, to answer your question first, I think, look, we tend to take a pretty much a bottoms up approach to sector to manager selection. So we're just we're trying to focus on managers across the board that we can believe we believe can deliver risk, you know, the most attractive risk adjusted returns. Uh, you know, on the venture capital growth side, a lot of the managers that we focus on are focused on information technology in some some shape or form. And then opportunistically, we'll we'll make a few uh, investments with managers focused on life sciences. On the buyout side, it tends to be more diversified from a sector point of view. And it can be more representative of the general economy. I would say there have been a few cases to Moose's point uh, earlier that you know a manager has uh, maybe technology or, or more mature technology uh, business services was one of their segments and it's gotten bigger over time because they've had so much success from it. And, and, and we've seen that, that sort of phenomenon, particularly probably in the, uh, in the United States. We don't have, specific sector allocation targets. And so um, we're, we're, we're not constrained by that. And so we, we are led by uh, the fact that we're trying to select managers um, that can continue to deliver good returns. And if, if they've been in a sector where they have expertise uh, and they've had strong returns and, and we're confident that uh, they'll be able to continue to do so, we will continue to back them. I think to Moose's question about some of the large sovereign wealth funds um, uh, making really big bets, that's that's probably a little bit um, out of my wheelhouse and that we tend to focus on the buyout side on smaller and medium-sized firms. And so the, we have less exposure to the very large uh, company segment. And so it's probably had less impact on the uh, on the managers that we've dealt with, at least sort of in this point in time, if 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 the large institutions were to come down more in the smaller and medium sized segments, then we may see more of an impact. But at this point, the uh, the size of the companies that the managers we deal with 
uh, are small enough that, you know, hopefully someday they might be able to sell into uh, to, to that larger segment. But right now it hasn't, I don't think it's had a huge impact. Okay, thanks, Tom. Um, I wanted to move on to to discussion about how specialists actually set them set themselves up. Um, and Tom, maybe if I could put this to you, I, I was interested in asking what observations you have made with respect to how different firms set up their their sector specialist infrastructure. Um, and I was particularly interested in finding out whether there are any uh, comparisons to be drawn between how uh, you know your big large cap managers versus your mid market firms might do it. And then also asked uh, ask about how, what this means for team structure and, and whether you know a whole team has to have sector expertise or, or whether that is concentrated in origination function or portfolio management function. Um, yeah, a bunch of questions there, Tom. But but just interested in in, in in any observations you have made about how managers go about building this this expertise and knowledge into their firms. Yeah, yeah, Nick. Look, I don't think the template for setting up a sector specialist firm is that different for setting up a any kind of private equity firm. You know, if you're an emerging firm, you really need to give thought to what sector you're pursuing, or what subsector or sectors, and what your competitive advantage is within that sector or niche. I mean, there's a lot of, and Moose knows this as well as anybody. There's a lot of private equity firms in the world today. Um, and personally, I don't think the business is going to get less competitive in the next decade. So you need to figure out as a firm why you deserve to exist. Um, and once you've figured that out, once you've decide, decided on a strategy and figured out what your competitive advantage is, you need to build the firm. And, and in my opinion, the key to success in private equity is having the right human capital. It's a people-oriented relationship business. It's, it's been that in the last 40 years, and I think that's how it's going to continue to be. And if you're starting a new firm, you and your colleagues hopefully invested in the sector you're focused on, either at another private equity firm or at a financial institution. At the very least, if you haven't invested together at the same firm, maybe you and your future partners invested together in deal or deals when you were at different firms. And, and not to sort of state the obvious here, but new private equity firms, whether they're sector specialists or not, tend to be very small. And, and you need to find people who share your values and create a, can create a successful culture. Uh, since given the duration of private equity funds and investments, you're essentially going to be married. And, and if you can't find those types of people, you know, in, in, in the, with whom you're culturally compatible and you end up going your separate ways, you're going to find it either very difficult to raise money or if you've been fortunate enough to raise money and you have some early personnel turnover, you're at risk of having a key person breach, which might restrict your ability to invest or at the very least have a lot of disappointed, very unhappy uh, LPs. I, I think for a sector firm, at the very least, you want people with a successful track record in the sector. And, and, and then in terms of resource, and this gets into the sort of mid-market versus large question. I don't, we have less experience with some of the large firms, but you know, depending on your ability to add resources, you may want to develop a network of advisory and operating partners who have ex operating experience in the sector, whom you can access professionals with industry sector expertise who could help you in performing the due diligence on the opportunities. They could serve as executive or non-executive chairman, or in certain instances, go into the company on an interim basis. So it really is about human capital and managing and deploying that well. And, and those are the keys, I think, that lead to success. 
Great, Tom. Thank you. And, you know, interesting, again, how, how it comes back to, to sort of the fundamental elements of, of, of being successful in, in the industry. Um, just to follow up on that question, um, you mentioned earlier how, um, you know, the, the generous firms have gone down to five sectors. The five sector firms have gone down to three. Has that then effectively been driven by by track record and the people that you already have within the firm, you know, that the firms have eventually just focused on the deals and sectors where they've had the most success rather than thinking about it from how do we structure ourselves to get success in these particular industries? Uh, the, um, I, I think they, they do the latter. I mean, they, they um, you know, the businesses are quite systematic. I mean, you know, they have outside consultants and they, they have internal reports and they assign teams to look at different perspectives. So there is a very systematic approach to kind of, you know, ensuring that the, um, the firm is competent and is comfortable with the sectors that in which it's going to be deploying the capital of the current fund that they're managing and potentially the one after. Um, so, um, you know, I, I do think that, that there is a, a, a very quite significant structural aspect to it. Uh, to a point that Tom was making, which is interesting, is that the larger firms have just huge budgets to work with. Um, and at any one point in time, if they decide to gear something up, are able to bring on board some of the best talent that you can think of uh, because they can pay for it. Um, you know, the smaller firms have to be a bit more entrepreneurial and, um, and, you know, think about how to build that knowledge and to build that niche expertise. Um, and, and that really comes from just repetition. Um, uh, you know, if, if you kind of, you know, it's like training, right? You, you, keep, you keep like, you know, going through the same kind of process um, and you know, looking at these companies and kind of working it out out, you start being able to kind of see the difference between, uh, you know, outstanding science and average science and in a great lab and an okay lab. And, and, then, and then your investment decisions and your investment acumen actually pick up quite dramatically um, and, um, you know, and, and you perform. And um, so, so I, I do think that um, the investors are looking for these types of systematic approaches. They are looking for that type of uh, experience, uh, and, and again, it goes back to this you know point that uh, you know it um, you know I respect the comment on a people business, but I also think that some of these firms can institutionalize themselves um, to be able to ensure that they deploy in a particular manner and and work within particular guidelines uh, to target uh, a return profile. Great, thanks, Moose. Um, okay, we have been um, we are pushing up against time now. I had I had one last question, um, Tom, which I'd like to to direct to you, um, and then get some follow up from Moose. And this comes back to a point you raised earlier about um, what firms need to do when they're thinking about expanding their sector expertise or, or moving into a, a new industry where where maybe haven't invested as much previously. Um, obviously, business is changing very quickly. Um, you do need to have a degree of flexibility. Um, Tom, how much wiggle room is there for a manager to to try and expand, try and try and expand into new industries where where maybe they haven't been as active before? And 
you know, what are the keys to to communicating that clearly and in a sort of convinced, convincing way to to yourself as, as as someone who is making commitments to to managers for the long term? Yeah, Nick, uh, I think if if look if a firm is only invested in one sector and that sector has declined and the firm's investment results reflect that decline, it's probably going to be difficult because there's sort of two questions here. It's not just are you you know, you, you, your sector has taken a hit, but are you good investing? The, 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 the prospective LPs may ask, well, are you good at, at, at investing? And, and it gets to sort of a fundamental question. If they're in multiple sectors um, and they want to add a new sector, I think it certainly it, it's doable. Um, they'll want to, it gets back to the sort of the people uh, issue I alluded to earlier. They'll want to find you know, they'll want to come up with a solid investment thesis. They'll want to find the right people, people that with whom they can work and 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 sort of successfully execute investments in that sector. And so so it really depends probably to a degree on how many sectors they have currently, what how much the new sector would be in terms of uh, an overall fund strategy, or, or are they going to try to do a sort of a sub fund that focuses on those sectors? But I think that's where, it, you know, if you it really depends on if the if the firm has had historical success or if they haven't if they've had historical success i think lps are probably willing to look more favorably at an expansion strategy where if they haven't they're probably going to take a, a little bit more of a dimmer view great tom thank you and um, musen yeah any closing uh, thoughts on that point uh, i know you mentioned earlier how firms look at this in different way they're meeting with the consultants they're they're bringing in technology partners is, is that the route to go when you're trying to you know broaden your your repertoire or, or move into new areas as as business and uh, and technology sort of you know changes the way we well, we behave shop and invest yeah i i think uh, two different points uh, you know going back to the point that uh, tom was making here um if a private equity firm wants to get into something that's completely new um they'll have to bring in a team they'll have to bring in a leader so there's one individual that will come in to kind of spearhead um, the, um, you know, going into the new areas. Um, and um, the, the question is, will this person be a fit for the firm? What is the, what's this person's background? You know, I, I saw a number of years ago, a particular private equity firm that was looking to get into the healthcare and they brought in a banker, uh, not a private equity professional. Uh, and it, but you know, this particular person had a good eye for business and a, a, um, a good eye for identifying quality businesses, and that's what they needed. And um, you know, it ended up turbocharging um, their plans, and it worked out really well. Um, and uh, but you know, you know, so, so that's kind of an area that needs to be um, you know uh, thought thought through, and 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 kind of worked on. You know, going back to the um, working with the consultants to kind of identify areas of interest, um, you know, th this should really be done systematically by all private equity firms on a regular basis, <laughs> um, because, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, they are, one needs to look at what can, one can do today, but more importantly is, um, you know, you know, where will you be in the, in the next two funds and three funds? Um, and um, I, I think there's a real merit to kind of understanding trends and patterns 
at, within the context of your expertise and strength. And this is where the question you asked me, I have unbelievably strong views about this right now. And, um, uh, you know, I personally believe that the, the private equity firms all need to further enhance their technology perspectives across their business. And, and this, Nick, isn't just the portfolio companies. It's, it's the mechanisms on how they identify opportunities, how they monitor those opportunities, um, how the seniority of the firm of the general partner is able to uh, look at the dynamics of a portfolio and how it's functioning, how it's performing, how it's moving and being able to make timely decisions. Um, you know, I know one situation where um, there's a phone call or an SMS message or whatever, a, a message uh, every morning um, from an AI that tells you what are your key to-dos for the day based on the pattern of your work um, in, in, in the last uh, uh, day and weeks. This is the type of stuff, how you interact with the investors um, and you know, for the investors to have look-throughs because you know, everyone writes these reports and these reports are, are due two months after a certain date and all this other stuff. You know, a lot of this can be all digitalized. And so we, we have much more rapid movement of our businesses. Uh, we have better visibility, we have better response times and that all leads to better performance. And so um, you know, not only do the portfolio companies need that type of input in their, the way that they run themselves as well as their business, uh, but the private equity firms can benefit quite significantly from it also. And I think we're going to see more and more of that. Moose, thank you. I think that's a, a very good note to, to close on. Um, certainly sector specialization, it seems, is as important for an investment strategy as, as it is now for, for running your own business as a, as a GP. So I'd just like to say a huge thanks to Tom and Moose for their time. It's been a real pleasure to speak to you and thank you for sharing your expertise. And thank you to everybody for listening. Goodbye.